We light these candles as a symbol of hope, healing for our brokenness. When we struggle and suffer, the Lord is near. No matter our circumstances, we trust him. 2 Corinthians 1.18-22 But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is the word of the Lord for us. Waiting can be miserable. It seems like every day we have times where we have to wait. So we wait at the traffic light. Or during your, your week, some, sometimes as I speak with people, they're waiting for the weekend. <laughs> Or you go to a doctor's appointment, and what do you do? But you wait. Life is full of waiting, and waiting can be miserable. But did you know, waiting can also be exciting. So we're in a season right now, a season of Christmas, where we are waiting for, looking forward to Christmas Day, the main event, December 25th. And so waiting can also be exciting. You're longing for Christmas Day to come. And as we talked about last Sunday... You can't avoid it. It's everywhere. The Christmas music and the Christmas lights and the Christmas parties and the festivities and all of that really sort of heightens the anticipation. Or uh, another example of an exciting period of waiting is for the baby (laughs) that's going to be born when you're pregnant. Now, maybe it's not as exciting for the mom, but for the dad, it's really exciting. You're eagerly expecting and awaiting and counting down the days until that baby comes. You're getting your hearts ready. You're getting your home ready. Could today be the day? And so the reason I mentioned waiting this morning, obviously we're in this uh, Advent season. We're celebrating the inbreaking of Christ. Baby Jesus, born in a manger. Fully God, fully human. Ushering in God's plan of redemption when he sent his son, the Savior. And what a thrill of hope. That's the title of our Advent series. What a thrill of hope to know that just as Jesus came in the flesh, entered into our world as a baby, and as we know then, lived a perfect sinless life, died upon the cross, was by the power of God on the third day, resurrected back to life, lives forevermore, he is coming again. What a thrill of hope to know that just as he came in the flesh the first time at Christmas, he will come again. And so this morning... That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk again about the sure return of Jesus and the, the waiting that we do until the day he arrives. It's not that kind of waiting that's miserable. It's not insufferable. It's the kind that's filled with wonder, filled with hope, filled with excitement that God is indeed one day going to bring about the culmination, the finality of this master plan of salvation, and that's going to happen through the return of Christ. So listen to the excitement from the Apostle Paul in Titus 2.13, where he says, we wait for the blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians, which is another passage we're going to look at this morning, we're told to encourage one another with these words. And so that's what I'm going to do with us this morning. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA. Thrilled that you are with us this morning. And I am praying that through our time together, your heart and your home grow stronger in the Lord. So we are going to be encouraged this morning with this amazing, fantastic, exciting, good news that Jesus is coming again. You know, if, if there's a subject that's been near and dear to the hearts of believers for centuries, it's been this, the return of Christ. There's just nothing that stirs the soul like knowing one day King Jesus is coming and we will be with him in eternity in the presence of God. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at the, the passage there that is the end of chapter 4 and then even into the first verses of chapter 5, where, where Paul has really clear teaching on this, the, the return of Christ. So if we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, in fact, he says very clearly, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. So we're going to study this morning. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what? Who have no hope. In fact, look for, look for this morning as we study this passage, look for that theme of hope. So verse 14, he says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are, who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, verse 16. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that... We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says, verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we'll stop there for a moment. <laughs> the return of Jesus. And it's here. We're studying it this morning. We just read those verses. This is a promise from God's word. It is a truth that we stand on. Paul says it very clearly there. Verse 16, the Lord himself will come. But this isn't the only place in the scripture that talks about this. This is, this is a teaching that runs throughout the scriptures. In fact, we could look all the way back at the book of Job. The book of Job. He says in, verse, in chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, Job says. I myself will see him with my own eyes. He's talking about the return of Jesus. The Bible promises this over and over and over. Jesus is coming back. Jesus, the one who came as a baby. He's coming back again one day as conquering king. In fact, Jesus himself talked about it. So in John chapter 14, he talks about going to prepare a place for us. Verse 3, he says, I'll come back and take you to be with me 
so that you also may be where I am. These are the words of Jesus himself. He said that he is coming. He's not sending someone else in his place. (laughs) It's going to be him. He's coming. He came in the flesh at Advent. He's coming again in the flesh at his second coming. The Bible promises this. This is not a fairy tale. This is not make-believe. This is not willy-nilly. We talked about this a little bit last week where sometimes hope can be construed as wishy-washy. It might happen, it might not. Biblical hope is a confidence and, and an assurance that Jesus is indeed coming back. This is true. Christ is coming again. And so what I want to do is, from this passage in 1 Thessalonians, chapters 4, which we already read part of, we'll look at chapter 5, I want to point out three truths, three biblical truths surrounding the return of Jesus. And each one of these gives us a thrill of hope as we eagerly, with anticipation and excitement, await his sure return. So the first is that the return of Jesus will indeed be glorious. So we heard that description from Paul in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord himself coming from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. So if you've ever heard a trumpet, you know it sort of pierces through. <laughs> it's, it has the, ability, the trumpet is, the, is an instrument that has the ability to pierce through the rest. Like uh, in marching band, my wife Rachel was the trumpet player, first chair. And they could have the whole ensemble playing something, but she would have a solo, and it was like, oh yeah, I heard your part. You were, the trumpet was there. It was above all the rest. So the trumpet call of God, this is going to be glorious. Like in the UK, when there's a royal event, when the, when the royal family is doing an entrance or someone of notoriety, they blow the trumpet to announce it. And it's going to be the same when Jesus returns. Well, I... It's going to be similar. <laughs> you know, oftentimes we use experiences we have to understand, uh, like in the book of Revelation when John describes the, the, the last days. He's using things in his field of experience to describe things that are yet to come that are going to be far more glorious. So it's not going to be like uh, the, the uh, arrival of the royal family. It's going to be kind of sort of a little bit like that. <laughs> But it's going to be louder. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be more glorious. Everyone is going to hear it. It's going to be those trumpets blasting, like louder than your teenager blasting in stereo. It's going to be loud when Jesus comes back. The whole globe is going to hear the return in this announcement. In fact, if we, go, if we look at Luke 21, uh, it says, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. His return will be glorious. And it says, when these things begin to take place, stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is coming back. It's going to be glorious. Paul tells the Philippians in three, uh, Philippians 3.20, he says, Eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know it's going to be glorious. When our bodies, both the resurrected bodies of the dead and the transformed bodies of the living, are made new, made different, made to be glorious as well. The return of Jesus is going to be an event unlike anything before. It's going to be glorious. The whole world is finally going to know. It's, like, it's going to be that moment in time where the whole world is finally going to know. Those living and those dead is finally going to know, oh, Jesus. 
Jesus. The Hebrew, the Nazarite, the son of the carpenter, he was indeed God, king of the universe. And so the second thing I want to point about the return of Jesus is that it's going to be visible. It's not going to be this sort of secret thing. It's not going to be this uh, only a few select people get to see it. Like, I can't wait for this day. I can't wait for this moment. It's almost like, uh, based on the, the biblical description, like the heavens are going to just open. Like there is going to be this massive, glorious event where in the skies, visible for all, Jesus is going to come back to earth in great glory. We're going to see his face. We're then going to be taken with him into glory, and it's going to be visible. In fact, we can look at Revelation 1 verse 7 that says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. Uh, last week, we, were in, we spent a little bit of time in Acts chapter 1 with the ascension of Jesus. And it's sort of this funny scene where, where Jesus says goodbye and, 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 and ascends, and, and the disciples are standing there, it says, kind of mouths agape, looking up. And an angel comes to them, like, what are you looking up there for? Like, listen, one day he's coming back. You're going to see him, the angel tells them. He's coming back in the same way. But listen, no matter how much we look for and long for his appearing, and and we do, we eagerly anticipate and, and, and wait, no matter how much we rejoice at the thought of being reunited with Jesus, being being with him face to face, we don't know when it's gonna happen. It's it's going to be sudden, it's gonna be unexpected. So let's go back to we're in First Thessalonians. We just finished up reading through the end of chapter four, so now we're at verse one of First Thessalonians chapter five. Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. (laughs) For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, it says they will not escape. Verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a, a thief You are all children of the light and children of the day. You do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And the hope, there it is again, the hope of salvation as a helmet For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, he says it again, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. (laughs) The return of Jesus. This idea stirs the soul. It gives you this this excited, hopeful, wondrous sense of anticipation as we are waiting. And we're not not waiting in terms of, we know it's December 25th. We're waiting in terms of, we don't know when it's going to be. It's going to be sudden. It's it's not like 
the meteorologists who forecast the rain or who forecast those winter storms. They're coming. It's going to happen in a week. It's going to happen in four days. It is going to be sudden. That's the third thing I wanted to point out about the return of Jesus that we see from the scripture. Uh, If we look at uh, another teaching from Paul, which is in 1 Corinthians 15, he says it will be in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. That quick. That sudden. The amount of time it takes a toddler to make a mess. <laughs> or we had a, uh, just recently, we had an unauthorized um, barber in our house. <laughs> who not only performed the self haircut, but who also gave the two-year-old sister a bit of a trim as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it just happens like that. It's like, I turned my back for a second. But, but, uh, it, the, when Jesus comes back, this is going to be a sudden event in the twinkling of an eye. So if we look then, we're, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5. If we look at verse 2, key in on verse 2 that we read a moment ago, it's going to come like a thief in the night. In other words, when you're not expecting it. Uh, we did have a, a sudden and um, happy surprise here at the church recently. We got a, a check from an estate. We're not planning on this. We're not aware of this. Unbeknownst to us, an individual had left MCA in their will. And so upon their passing, we were among the beneficiaries. Like, wow, that was a, that was a pleasant surprise to the tune of thousands of dollars. Like, wow, God is good. <laughs> Didn't surprise him, but it did surprise us. That was a nice surprise. So, so scripture tells us plainly, as we talk about the sudden return of Jesus, that no one knows the time of his return. Let me just say it again. Like, no one knows the time of Jesus' return. So this is a clear teaching from Matthew 24. Verse 36 says, The day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now every few years, as, as you probably well know, someone emerges... Sometimes they are, are fairly prominent or even respectable Christian leaders. Um, and they say, you know, we figured it out. Uh, Jesus is going to be coming back. And like, this is the year or this is the date. <laughs> it's like, um, it just happens regularly. It happens consistently. I refreshed on it just this week to see well, what, what, what is this history of people predicting the return of Christ. And it's amazing and it's shocking. Even again, the, the names that are on that list of people that at one time were respected as, as Bible teachers or as pastors who, who decided that they've figured it out. And the people who have predicted the return of Christ have been lots of things, but one of the things they've been is consistent. Consistently wrong. <laughs> like they don't know because the Bible says that. So, so one headline I read said this. It said, Bible hidden code with imminent uh, end of the world prophecy cracked by scholars. <laughs> like, really? Uh, apparently, I wasn't on that panel <laughs> to help determine that. Um, it said, the hidden code is said to be cracked by mathematically selecting letters from the texts which appear to create words which can then be read as prophecies. Right. <laughs> Right. Um, I mean, what do you do? What do you do with that? When you, if you show up in a church and they're, they're doing that kind of stuff, it's like, 
How about the Bible teaching we don't know when Jesus is going to return? Actually, I found something this week that was very interesting to me, but uh, Sir Isaac Newton apparently had this fascination with biblical prophecy and predicted Christ's return would be happening in the year 2060. Didn't know that. Learned that this week. Uh, I think my favorite of all predictions, though, was 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. And some of you remember that. <laughs> um, the, the individual who, who wrote that book, it was like a bestseller, like half a million copies sold. Um, and obviously Jesus didn't come back in 1988, but he did write a follow-up book the very next year, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. <laughs> and for some reason, that one didn't sell quite as well. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing, like, we don't know the date. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. So it is, I want to say this, it is futile to spend any nanosecond of our time and energy devising some mathematical or astronomical equation that's going to predict the day when Jesus returns. Instead, that, that energy that we have, that, that, uh, that time that God gives us and the talents that we have should be used instead to make the most of the time we have that remains until Jesus returns, to serve him, to grow his kingdom. Yes, to share the good news with those who are yet to believe. Like the scriptures tell us, the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news. And it is good news because Jesus is coming back. And for those of us who believe, it's going to mean heaven. One of my spiritual mentors, uh, one of the giants of the faith in my own life, the guy who, who was part of me first launching into ministry, he's the one who, who oversaw me in my first ministry assignment. He's the one who ordained me. He anointed me and blessed me. Uh, his name is Ken Nauman. He's passed on to be with the Lord. But I remember talking with Ken. He spent over 50 years as a pastor. And he said, John, if I could do it all over again, <laughs> those, those 50 years I spent preaching and teaching and discipling and, and walking with people, he said, there's one thing that stands out that I would do differently. And so I took note as a young pastor. He said, I would talk more about heaven. I would talk more about the glorious reunion that one day we are going to have with Christ. And, and friends, I just start to wonder, like, what impact would it have if we started to emphasize to our friends and neighbors and coworkers and the unbelieving world, if we started to talk about and emphasize this good news of an eternity spent with Christ? Like, we will be with him in paradise no, we don't know when he's coming back, <laughs> but we're not going to be surprised when he comes back. In fact, I hope we're even more prepared after this morning and doing this study. Be even more prepared for when those trumpets sound, knowing it's now. Today is the day Jesus is coming back. But even as we talk about the excitement and the hope of, of the sure return of Jesus and, and that so, something very amazing kind of wells up within us, it stirs our soul. There is a sobering reality to the return of Jesus. The sobering reality is destruction for those who have not believed. And I often say when we talk through the gospel message, like that it's not all just happy, happy, joy, joy, good news. There is a fullness to the gospel that says, Unless we repent of our sins and confess Christ as Lord and call on him as Savior, we're doomed. We will spend an eternity apart from him. That's the fullness of the gospel. 
is to understand. Salvation means so much more when we realize what we've been saved from. And so the return of Jesus is actually rather sobering. And so we read through there uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, if we look again at verse 3, he says very clearly, destruction will come on them suddenly. He says they will not escape. And so there's a sobering reality here. In fact, Jesus, when he was teaching about this in Matthew chapter 24, we were there just a moment ago, but let's turn there again. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus teaching about this, he makes a comparison with the days of Noah. And if you know anything about the days of Noah, the people were so wicked, filled with violence, that the Lord said, all right, enough. I'm going to wipe them all out. So uh, starting in verse 37, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He's again, he's talking about his return. He says, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came. Until the flood came and took them all away. He says, that is how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. So it's actually rather dreadful. It was a dreadful day when God flooded the earth. (laughs) Noah had been warning the people. He'd been telling them, there's only salvation in this ark. God has told me that the rains are going to come, and yet the people went on with their carousing with their foolishness. They ignored the warnings. They went on with life as usual, as if there was nothing wrong. You, you speculate, they were like, we don't want to hear about that doom and gloom stuff. You know, leave us alone. There's too much for us to enjoy, too much for us to do. But when the flood came, when the rains began to pour down, well, they were singing a different tune. They were crying out for mercy. They were realizing The flood has come, but guess what? It was too late. Because the story says that the Lord shut the door. And when the door was shut, it was shut. The return of Jesus, my friend, it will be glorious. It will be wonderful. But it's also a little troubling today. A little little stirring in me, even as I'm excited. For you and I, for those who believe, I'm troubled. Why? Because of the multitudes who have refused to seek refuge in the only place of salvation, the ark that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that the flood is coming one day. And it's not a flood of water, it's a flood of judgment. We know the way to escape. We know the way to salvation. It is is only to get in Christ. Through the repentance of our sins, by putting our faith in him. In fact, if you are here this morning and you've never done that, I pray that today would be the day. In fact, I would be honored to pray with you and go with you before God's throne of grace today. Don't leave this building today without going before the God of the universe and saying, Lord, I can't save myself, but I know Christ can save me. Our prayer team is going to be available in the front here after the service. You're welcome to come and talk with them as well. Eternal life awaits all those who put their faith in Jesus. He's the only source of rescue and salvation. So last week, I 
issued a challenge. And that was to get into the Word of God every day until Christmas. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> who agreed to, who did it, who didn't do it. That challenge still remains. Get into the Word of God. There's no better way to celebrate the Christmas season than, than to stand on the Word of God, to be encouraged and equipped to live for Christ and to face whatever lies ahead. Did you know there are Christian believers who, who are starting to wonder well, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, maybe he's not coming at all. They're starting to even question. Maybe we've misunderstood. Maybe it's something different. But what did we hear this morning in our scripture reading? From 2 Corinthians 1, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit, his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we don't need to worry. We don't need to speculate. We don't need to say, well, maybe we misunderstood. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe God's not able to do that. He has guaranteed. Now, God's timing is not our timing. (laughs) But God's word says he is coming back. And he surely is. Gloriously, triumphantly, visibly, and yes, suddenly. And when he does, he's going to claim us. He's going to claim all of his own for eternity. And so this morning, I wanted to be true to the encouragement from Scripture. It was here twice, once in chapter 4, once in chapter 5, to encourage one another with these words. There's something so comforting and hopeful about this. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to be with him for eternity. But there's also something really challenging here. So why don't I issue another challenge? This week, would you talk about the Lord? That's the challenge. That you, that you, when God opens that door for you to speak about him, that you would open your mouth and you would talk about the Lord. That you would brag about his goodness. That you would talk about what he's done in your life. That you would share, here's how he answered a prayer. Here's how he came through. That, that maybe you, you are talking with someone who doesn't know Jesus and you share with them the gospel message, the good news. That Jesus is the only source of salvation. It's the Christmas season. Again, it's everywhere. So this week, that's the challenge. Look for an opportunity. Maybe God is going to open a door. And maybe it's something as simple as Christmas festivities, and you have the opportunity to share, what does Christmas mean to you? What does Christmas mean to you? What are you celebrating? What are you focused on? What is God teaching you in this season? And some of you, you're walking through a season right now that's pretty hard. You're walking through some major challenges, some some dark times. My encouragement is there, don't wallow in it, but press on. Like, Like, press into the Lord. Put your hope only in Christ because he wants to use you. Even in this season, he wants to use you to build his kingdom. So worship him and talk about him. Spread the good news. Don't lose heart. Don't waver in your faith. Ask God for the strength to patiently endure as you wait, as all of us do, as we await his sure return. So James says this in James 5. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And I would say there's really no better season to strengthen your heart, 
and your faith than the Christmas season. Because it's a time where we remember what God has done. That God is the God who keeps his promises. He was faithful to send the Messiah. He sent his son Jesus. It's a time to eagerly await his second coming. He came the first time. He's coming again. And yeah, it's a time to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. That's what they need. And that's what God has called us to do. So let us be faithful in it. Let's pray together this morning. Lord God, thank you for your master plan. And, oh, Lord, thank you for your word that just continues to point us back to Christ and your plans, even back in the book of Job, Lord, where he prophetically says in the end he's going to see you standing on the earth. Lord, how we eagerly await that day. And so, Lord, fill us with hope and wonder and excitement for that glorious day when you return and you call us to yourself for all eternity. And yet, Lord, this morning, I'm also filled with this sense of urgency. That, God, there are those who are going to be left out, just like in the day of the flood. Drowned by those waters, Lord, that the flood of, of, of destruction and judgment is coming. So, Lord, would you give us opportunity to share about the ark that is our Lord Jesus and to invite them in to his protection and safety, to speak the good news. That he is a refuge and a fortress, mighty, impenetrable, unshakable, immovable. He is a rock. So, Lord, we just give it to you. We ask that you would be the one who gives those divine appointments. We ask that you would be the one who gives us the words. But, Lord, that we would be found faithful to speak of your goodness, to walk in gratitude for who you are and for what you've done. And Lord, I pray specifically today for those who are unsure, who maybe have have wandered away from you. And Lord, that today would be the day where they wholly arrive before your throne of grace with nothing to offer but themselves. That they would come before you with a simple request, Lord, to forgive and to redeem. And Lord, I know you're faithful and I know you will come through in those situations, Lord. Would you convict us, Lord, for the places where we've not stepped into the kingdom opportunities you have presented. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to teach, to guide, to convict, to empower. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the Christmas season where we reflect on this amazing, fascinating good news. The prophecies of old come true. Over 300 Old Testament prophecies pointing to the Messiah, the one that would come, born of a virgin. So Lord, we pray that the truths of this season would penetrate our lives and our hearts and be lived out in fruitfulness for you and for your kingdom. We pray it only in the mighty and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.